I feel I don't need to preach every week, but a couple times a month is is my sweet spot. And you know, I feel I feel the need in my soul to preach. If I don't, you know, I, it's better. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Preacher Lab. And in this episode, we get to have a really good conversation with the one and only Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson. She is the Bishop of the North Georgia Conference. And in our conversation, we talk all about preaching, how she preaches, what she's learning, how she preaches as a bishop, how she understands herself when she preaches. And it's just such a good episode. So I hope you enjoy the conversation that we have as much as I enjoyed having it with her. Enjoy. Do you write different sermons for each church? Do you kind of have a theme and then say, okay, I'm going to add this particular piece to that church? As everything is with the bishop, I found there's not any just easy parts, right? Um, I long for the days in the local church when I sat in a worship meeting and just kind of daydreamed, right? And let them carry on the conversation because I'm not a part of any meeting where I can just daydream. I'm, you know, usually people are there uh, w- wanting my full attention or wanting some action. And I, I find the same with preaching, right? There's not any, if you're preaching week in and week out to a congregation you know and love, then um you are working, I, I usually, you know, I'm really good at putting about four sermons in one. So I would just split up those four sermons. And there was a the luxury of, well, whatever I don't hit next week, I can pick up next, this week I can pick up next week. And and there were some Sundays where it was just easy, right? There's a lot of liturgy, there's a lot, you know. But I find as a bishop, um, you're always invited for a purpose, right? Um, I'm usually invited for an anniversary of the church or a celebration of a building or a pastor, or there's usually some sort of um, official role or, um, so it's a very different kind of preaching context. Now I do have one stump, this is Methodism sermon. And what I really do, it all goes back to, a pastor friend. He's a pastor now. He was my accountant at the time. We had lunch one day and he said, you know, Sue, I've asked every Methodist I've ever known uh, the following question and no one, not one of them's ever been able to answer it. And I was like, oh gosh, this is going to be ugly. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Sue, what is the method? And so usually my sermon is focuses on what is the method and, um, you know, encouraging, calling upon folks to, to focus on our Methodist incorporation of the spiritual disciplines methodically into our lives. So it's a plea to them to pray and to meditate and to read scripture, to be about the public worship and the private worship of God, to uh, celebrate communion as much as often, you know, as often as possible, to really uh, take time and space for the Holy Spirit to work work on your soul. Um, and I remind them that our goal isn't to be, you know, on a cloud with a harp, that our goal is to be made perfect in love. And quite frankly, I think the church has missed that point. I think that um, that can't be emphasized enough. And uh, quite frankly, if, if, if Methodists were being good Methodists and really putting the spiritual time and energy into those spiritual disciplines, I don't think we'd see some of the, some of the letter writing and some of the behavior we're seeing. I think we're missing the point. So usually my sermon, that will be the core of it. 
And I'll talk about, I, I have a section where I talk about one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, which I think is the heart of the spiritual disciplines and how the Holy Spirit works on us. And then uh, I'll usually tailor it to the occasion. I always get um, a history of the church I'm preaching in, and or I'll talk to the pastor uh, about, you know, what, what do you need help with? What's going on there? And then I'll just emphasize the part of the sermon. And over time, you know, uh, uh, you can never be a lazy preacher, right? I'm always looking for ways to update it or add something new or freshen it up. But um, that is usually, you know, I have the backbone of the sermon and I usually will doctor it according to and if, if they really are insistent on a lectionary text or a topic, usually I can work uh, that kind of framework. I'll, I'll, I'll pull it out in the text and emphasize it in the text and then emphasize it in the um, uh, whatever is happening that Sunday. So it, it really is different preaching. And it's to me, there's a certain amount of um, pressure every time I do it because you don't want anybody leaving a church and saying, God, bishops suck. They can't preach at all. You know, because that's, I can't tell you how many times I go to a church. I'm like, I've never met a bishop before. So, you know, their impression of me and my preaching is kind of all inclusive, right? So, um, I, and I guess the thing I like best when somebody comes out is I can see why you have your role. You know, I can see, I can see why you do this or why you were called to do this because, um, when we're talking about preaching, I guess here's my plug. For me, the preach, there's a great quote by a bishop, uh, a Methodist bishop from like 1908. I can't remember what his name was, but I'll never forget what he said. He said, uh, the sermon is the preacher up to date. And to me, uh, the, it, you know, I used to take great comfort when I was, well, I still do, but when I was in the local church, um, I was a good Methodist, right? I had my prayer time. I had my, my devotional time. I was immersed in scripture daily. And so I knew that on any given Sunday, I was up to date and that I knew that I had spent more time probably in my spiritual uh, pursuits than anybody else in the congregation. And so if anybody that week was connected with God in some way, I felt like at least I'd given it a shot, right? And and we can talk about, I, I, I don't know about you, but there were some weeks where I'd get to Friday and be freaking out because I wouldn't have a word from God. And then all of a sudden, you know, 10 o'clock Friday night, the whole sermon comes to me full blown. So, but I think that's the kind of, and, and quite frankly, I can watch a preacher and tell, and tell um, are they up to date? Are they, are they paying attention to their spiritual life? Because, you can sense that. And I think that anybody, and what, to me, what makes a good preacher is somebody who I can tell they know of what they speak. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're connected in, um, with the Holy spirit in a way that, um, and, and there's a vulnerability in that. And, you know, um, one thing I really can't stand are, are um, kind of self-righteous, this is how it is, preachers. Uh, when, my dad, when my dad died, somebody gave me a, a, a sermon on tape by a famous preacher, and man, he was telling me exactly how heaven was. And, ex and I was like, there is nothing in scripture about that. That's crazy land. So I do think that... Um, I'm not, I'm not the, I love preachers where I don't get the sense that they're the authority and I have to have them to have a connection with God. I like preachers who make me feel like 
they're vulnerable and that we're on this journey together, which I think is the heart of Methodism, right? That the Holy Spirit's at work in each of our lives and, and only the Holy Spirit knows how far we've come and how far we have to go. So I always saw myself as a preacher as to be, to be a companion on the journey, just giving voice to it and pointing out the stops along the way, kind of. Yeah, gosh, there, there is a lot in all you just said. I'm trying to think. So for you, it seems like as a local church pastor, you know these people, um, you know mm -hmm. their stories, you've been right. with them as when right. their grandparents are dying or when they just gave birth their new son. Exactly. As a bishop, you don't know all of them all mm -hmm. the time. You might know one or two people. Maybe sometimes not even that. So it's, it is a, it's, it's always a cold call. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so that's why you have to have a sense of, I've, I've got to give them something that's universal or that really goes to the heart of who we are as Methodists. And so that's what I try to do. And then, and then also I really work hard on illustrations or comparisons or how do we bring this into real life and make it relevant that will engage and capture them. Um, yeah, you, and they've got to be kind of universal. You know, I can't go too specific. So yeah. Um, what are the ways in which you try to create that connect? Because can it create that connection quickly? Because yeah. if you start off, there, there's already an image of who you are, Bishop right. Sue, uh, whether for good or for bad, um, or an idea of just the system as a whole. Right. How do you kind of get in there quickly and say, I'm a yeah, normal yeah. person? Usually humor. I, I mean, I, I always talk about when I talk about, you know, um, being good Methodists and, and we've got to spend time in prayer and be connected to the Holy Spirit. I always say we have a report card uh, that Paul lists in Galatians, right? And are you loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, gentle, kind, faithful, generous, and self-controlled? And then I, I always say, um, here's a report card. Uh, I dare you to go home and invite your spouse or your significant other or, you know, if you're really brave, your child to tell you how you're doing on that report card. And, and you know, my 20 year old, <laughs> don't ask her how loving, joyful people, you know, <laughs> because, because it, is, it should be tangible. I mean, there should be some, some sense in the world that I am different because I'm connected to Christ. So, so that is always disarming. And I guess that's a word I love. In preaching, I'm always trying to be disarming. Um, whatever, you know, whatever your preconceived notion of me is, whether, you know, positive or negative, um, the disarming part, how do I, you know, just, I'm a normal human being with a daughter who rags on me because I'm not loving and patient all the time, <laughs> you know, and, um, and then I usually talk about the second part of it, uh, where, you know, um, the Holy Spirit should make us one with each other. And that's great theoretically. But uh, as C.S. Lewis said, I think he said it in um, Mere Christianity, he said, you know, it's great theoretically. And then you look at the person on the pew next to you and it becomes a whole different problem. So, um, and, and then I talk about, you know, how I don't know about them, but I have people who get on my last nerve, which I always love. And that's true. I mean, we have people who get on our last nerve. And then, and then I'll say, you know, and then I'll say, I know your pastor doesn't have anybody who gets on his or her last nerve. And, and, but then I just say, you know, and then I, I, I take that person into my prayer closet with me, not literally. Right. But I take them in there and, and, 
eventually, and sometimes it takes a couple years, I'll start to love that person because it's not, it's not about me. It's about a power beyond myself. So, so disarming in ways that let them see that I struggle, that um, I'm certainly not fully formed, that I'm on the journey with them, that, um, that my role is not one of top down, heavy handed authority, but uh, just giving voice in life and structure to a, to a church that can help us live into uh, perfection and love, which, you know, sadly, I don't think we're doing a very good job of. So. Yeah. I think uh, listening to your sermons um, and even just some interviews you've had, you have a way of, of speaking truth and really sharing what you believe you think. I mean, even in this conversation, how, how you actually feel about something, but creating this way of, allowing the person to hear it, uh, whether it be with humor, with laughter, with the true authentic authenticity that you have of, yeah, I'm just a normal person. Um, right. I think, I, I, I don't know if you notice this in yourself, but I, I wonder if that's your gift. I mean, you have this honesty mixed with this, it's, an, it's like a disarming honesty. Um, and it's, it's, it's palpable. I can feel it in you. Like, yeah, I believe this, but I also, I also take it really lightly. Yeah, I'm thinking about one of my first congregations and several of them one day, um, we were just talking about the service and, and uh, one of them said, man, you walk right up and stomp on our toes. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, it gets our attention. It's not painful enough that it lasts forever, right? And there's a sense yeah. of, that, you know, you, you, that I've always gotten that kind of comment uh, that, um, and sometimes it just takes an honesty that helps us see how ridiculous we are. You know, <laughs> I preached a sermon for the Council of Bishops and I started off by saying, you know, when I meet Jesus face to face, I'm not going to quote scripture to him. <laughs> he heard it all the time, didn't he? Crowds about to stone yeah. him, throw him off a cliff. He heard scripture all the time. And uh, I don't think I'll quote, quote scripture to him. Um, he had quite enough of that in his life, I think. So, how do you how do you know how do you know when you've stepped on the toes too far or haven't stepped on the toes enough? Because um, I think it's it's, yeah, it's, it's a hard. Balance. Yeah, it's hard, um, and that's why I think um, one a, a good preacher has to read the crowd. You have to be able. Uh, that's that's how you know. I mean, I can watch a crowd and and know, oh, I need to I need to pull back on that a little bit. I went a step too far, or uh, they should be a little more attuned to this. I need to come at it again. So, um, and, and you know, some weeks are better than others, but uh, there is, I think, a good preacher is an excellent reader of the room and nothing. And if you want to hear my pet peeves. <laughs> A preacher who can't read that their audience is done. <laughs> you know, a preacher who can't read that their audience is so, you know, sometimes they should just pack it up and go. Um, so I do think that's a big, you know, and it probably needs to be explored in preaching more. How do you, how do you read, read the folks and how do you uh, do it? And how do you, you know, but I do think that body language and facial expression and, you can, there's a feel and, and I swear nothing is, nothing as a preacher is sweeter than the rare moments. And I can think, you know, I can think of maybe two handfuls times where I knew I had the crowd 
but at the same moment, I knew that I was treading on sacred ground because you can't misuse that, right? Yeah. And so uh, I, I, the warning signs went off. You have this crowd. It's a wonderful thing, but you better be very careful. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I, I, I find there are, there are moments in which you can feel that. I, I recently, I preached one on All Saints Sunday, mm -hmm. and I was in the center of the room doing communion with pictures of all the saints around us, nice. and people were yeah. looking at each other. Right. And there's just like, I think there's that holy moment where you realize mm -hmm. this is, you know, take your shoes off, Moses type of moment. Um, right. And I, I think you, you can feel that. And on the flip side, I, I don't know about you, I, if there's one person that's that's not there with me, everybody's there, but that one person is just like, you know, crossing their arms and and they're just they're they're upset. I, I put all my focus. I'm gonna I'm gonna give as much energy as I can of hey, hey, I'm here, uh, and you can choose to 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 not listen, uh, but I, but you can you can just feel it, you can see it, um, and then occasionally they'll walk out, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, I got over that. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. There's usually there's usually ten or so that are just not going anywhere with me, and yeah. you know, um, I, I love how Jesus said, you know, um, brush brush the dust off your feet and take your peace back. I love that. Take your peace back. Take your peace back. I, thank you very much. I will take my peace back and not yeah. work on you. So. Yeah. <laughs> else. I, you know, <laughs> I hope that I planted a very small seed and somebody else can move you farther, but obviously this isn't going well. But I just, that's just the nature of, of my work though. There will always be, I would say 10 people in a room who really have for whatever reason decided they're not going to listen to anything I say. So, yeah. yeah. Was, when you think about maybe outside of being a bishop and being in a local church was there was there ever a time in which you kind of changed your style or context because of that moment that you wanted to create that holy sacred moment and you said yeah the way in which I preach this needs to be a little different yeah I think um it took a while because I really am more of a scholar than I am a preacher I think and so it really took a long time for me to move out of the kind of this is textbook. I need to do this right. I need to have, you know, and, and to move more into um, what I find more and more is a good sermon is really one point, right? One sentence. Um, and um, so every sermon I preach, I can distill it down to one sentence. And so I will, and so I'll, I'll have that sentence and then I'll play around with different illustrations or different thoughts. And then I kind of leave it to the Holy Spirit to guide. That's where the spontaneity comes from. So um, yeah, there are some times where I'll walk in and think I'm in a lighter kind of context and realize, oh, I need to change. The, I need to move into a deeper area. And, and that's part of not ever knowing your audience, right? Yeah. Um, there are some churches where they are brand new Christians. They, they, you know, they don't know a bishop from Adam, right? They don't have <laughs> any concept. And, and then, I, or I'll, I'll walk into a setting and realize these folks have been Methodists for 50 years and they, you know, um, there's a lot of deep spirituality and theological depth here. So uh, a lot of times I'll have to change the context on the fly. Yeah. Um, but that's fun, part of the fun, I think, of preaching and, and keeps it 
you know, alive for me. And yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you, my absolute worst time ever in the church was when I was an associate and had to do children's sermons, right? I, I, I'll preach 10 million sermons, but do not ask. I still get hives uh, because I was at First Lakeland. And, that, you know, I'd do a, one, one children's sermon, I'd get there, and it would all be four-year-olds, right? And so I'd be like, oh, i got to scale this back and do four-year-olds. And the next week, it would all be fourth-graders. You know, I was like, I can't do this. So there are some extremes to audience changes, but I never have met any like that as a bishop. So as long as I don't have to do children's sermons, I'm fine. I don't think you're alone in that for many pastors. Oh. Well, there's so many people who do it well. I don't understand why I don't understand why pastors hog the ball. You know, I have plenty of places I can meet the children, but gosh, let somebody who's I had a tremendous school teacher in Tampa and man, she could handle a group of kids and convey far more to them than I could and ever. So yeah. part of it I think is knowing your gifts and knowing your weaknesses. And that's a big weakness. Do not ask me to do a children's sermon. It will be ugly. Yeah. <laughs> So what, so when you walk into the sanctuary or uh, whatever the space that you're preaching in, what do you do for the first like hour or two hours? Because it seems like a part of your your niche, your gift is feeling the room, feeling the people. Um, mm -hmm. Even 10 minutes beforehand, you kind of recognize, I can go here with this group or I, this this won't work. What yeah. is that? Those those kind of hour, two hour beforehand kind of. Yeah, help well, a lot of it's just talking to people. And um, getting a sense, but I've always talked to the pastor beforehand, kind of done reconnaissance, kind of learned the history and kind of who's there. And they're really helpful with that. And um, so, you know, most pastors are really good uh, students of who's in their, con in their congregation. So uh, that's fruitful. And, um, and then I'll just watch. I'll watch, you know, how they relate to each other or how they, um, how far away they sit. <laughs> <laughs> how they relate to the pastor, um, just a feel, you know, I, I, I think I can go into a church now and pretty much real quickly have a sense of how happy they are or not, how much tension is in the room, what's going on. So, yeah, it's kind of, it comes, comes second nature after a while. Yeah. What, what advice would you give to local pastors to be able to know their people better for preaching purposes. Um, yeah, I think, you know, one thing that disturbs me is, um, you know, pastors who are like, well, I'm the preaching pastor. So everybody else does the visitation. And the, I don't know. I don't know how you separate that. I mean, my preaching is informed by conversations and pastoral care and hospital visits and, you know, the, the, the sacred, um, education of a pastor I think happens in nursing homes and hospitals and you know hearing about people's journeys so I want to get rid of the whole notion that the preacher sits up in an ivory tower and that's some sort of special task it, it's got to be connected to the life of lives of the people in the pews that's what makes for good preaching and so um you know, I don't think I'll be a great preacher ever again because it, it's about the relationship with the people who you were in on the journey with. And they're different, you know, every church had a different complexion and a different focus, but um, those, that's what I miss. I mean, you know, those were the, that was the great time. Yeah. 
So what are, you, what are you learning about yourself as a preacher? I know we've talked about the difference between bishop, but what are you learning yourself as you mm -hmm. preach? It's help. Well, I'm learning that devotional time and immersion in scripture is incredibly necessary uh, because um, that's what soothes my soul and, and, and grounds me and gives me a sense that um, I have a valuable word to speak that's from God. And so um, constantly, and I think, you know, the, the biggest commodity in a bishop's life is time. I mean, the thing I hate most is I usually have three or four or five or 10 things every hour that I could be doing all good. Yeah. But, um, but what tends, and I think I'm going to speak for all preachers, what tends to get shortchanged if you're not really careful is your spiritual life and your reflection and you're just pondering uh, i still think of a name partner in the law firm i work for and i love this quote he said the best lawyering is done when you're looking out the window mm. and i think that the best preaching is done when you're looking out the window you got to have time and space to reflect how many times have i not known where i was going with the text and then just gotten in the shower and then boom it you know because because you've got to get out of your your hectic, crazed life and have time to just appreciate God. And, and for me, COVID's been kind of a gift. I mean, to not have to travel for two years, what a gift. I mean, I lived on an airplane. So um, I feel like I'm in this ironic way, I'm deeper spiritually than I was at the beginning of COVID because I've had the time and now I'm really guarding that. So I'm hopeful as I add more and more stuff back into the schedule that um, this is a new pattern or way of being, but I think that's what makes, I mean, nothing's worse than a shallow preacher, right? Yeah. 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 It's you have, I think the centering theme of a lot of our conversation is all of that self-awareness work that you do within yourself, mm -hmm. um, how you connect with God, how you connect with scripture, how you connect with other people. It's, yeah. it's a lot of this, this self-care, this understanding of the self that, then comes out in your preaching, comes out in your humor and your gifts and the right. jokes you tell and the stories because it's all you're living and you're just reflecting on all of those things. Yeah, and, that's a good way to sum it up. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, the sermon is the preacher up to date. Yeah, I, yeah I, exactly. That's it in one sentence. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. So are there any final thoughts for those preachers who are listening um, whether they be in, in Georgia, Florida, Washington State, any final thoughts for preachers? Yeah, you know, your work, the, the sacred work of building community and making God come alive and Jesus come alive in the hearts of people, that is an incredibly valuable piece of work. I mean, to me, uh, good preaching uh, shapes the culture of the faith community. And so if you are a, a preacher of grace and mercy, if, if they sense in you that what you preach is who you are, then um, it, sets, it sets a pattern for the whole community. And I think that um, to shortchange the preaching and the time you put into preaching is to uh, really leave your community bereft. And so 
spend mark off the time and 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 see your own devotional life as part of your preaching preparation but um that has got to take precedence and i get so tired I, I, one thing that i've had to face as a bishop a lot is a lot of plagiarism you know because a lot of pastors they they get busy i get it they get busy they and then you know well let me just take andy stanley's sermon and preach it or let me just take you know and and years ago at a clergy session some people got upset with me um they thought i was dissing adam hamilton for his kits right he would send out the kits here's the video here's the graphics here's the but um adam's a friend of mine i would i don't diss him i think he'd agree with me i need i need to talk with him about this next time I see him. But I think that um, there's something you lose when you take somebody else's sermon notes and preach them to your congregation because you are discerning their unique space in the world, their unique community, their unique calling. And that, you know, you might take some insights or some, but, but to even use somebody else's sermon notes, I mean, Quite frankly, I don't even preach a sermon twice. I don't have any saved sermon notes. I don't want to be tempted. Now, I do have my exegetical notes because, you know, I, but even so, I interpret the Bible differently now than I did when I was, you know, 25. But I do think that um, you got to put in the work each week. You can't, don't pull an old sermon. Um, I, I have done that a couple times and it has fallen with a thud because, because the sermon's the preacher up to date. So, so put the time in, put the energy in rigidly, you know, I'm like, okay, if you're a preacher, I want you to rigidly keep your, your devotional time, rigidly keep Sabbath and rigidly keep your sermon prep. And by the way, go to the hospital a few times. So you have something to say. So, you know, I, <laughs> I think, I think we, we, um, it's all about prioritization, right? And when you find yourself deprioritizing the sermon, your community's in trouble because they're looking, they're there every Sunday, not because it's healthy, but you know, for their health, they're looking for a word from God. They're looking for some, um, something that will point them to this, to a greater story, a reality outside themselves. And so I would say, put the time in. Don't fake it. Don't. Uh, somebody, somebody in Florida years ago said, after you've been a pastor for 10 years, you either quit, you either leave, you um, fake it, or you really get serious about it. So get serious about it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Because we, we can tell folks if you're faking it. You can tell. So. <laughs> and, and I think if you're serious with yourself, you know, if you're faking it or not. Absolutely. Sure. But, but it's amazing how, you know, how delusional we can be and how <laughs> compartmentalized we can be. So, um, you know, let's not underestimate that. So, well, I have one more final question. Okay. Um, every, every time I talk with somebody, I ask them, what's the most impactful book you have read in the last six months? Um, a fiction, nonfiction children's book, leadership book, commentary, Dr. Seuss book. What is the most meaningful book that you've read in the last six months? Very different ones, okay? okay? Uh, the first one is called um, Eleanor Oliphant, O-L-I-P-H-A-N-T. Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. And it's by Gail Honeyman. 
And I got this on Audible. I'd recommend it on Audible. And she is, this is her first book, which just stuns me. It is incredibly well-written, incredibly insightful. But she, it's all written in first person, and she just unfolds, peels like an onion, this woman's life. And you start realizing that there's major, major trauma in her childhood. And what brings her to wholeness, what pulls her out is one friend. And as I listen to that, I realize, man, all it takes from is one person to bring somebody into a life that is rich and whole, as opposed to, to just devastation. So uh, it, is a, it is a wonderful book to read, but I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, I, I'm a little horrified though, because Reese Witherspoon uh, bought the rights to it. <laughs> And I hope she doesn't play her because this is an odd ball Scottish woman. And I just don't see Reese doing that. So, you know, oh, please don't do that. The other book that I would highly recommend and that we're reading throughout our annual conference is a book called High Conflict by Amanda Ripley. And uh, Ms. Ripley's premise is that conflict is good to an extent. I mean, that's how we grow, right? We challenge each other. We grow through experience like that. But in our day right now, conflict has gotten too high and it's, and it's dangerous and it's ugly. And so uh, she gets to, in the appendix to what I wanted. You know, she, that's where she lists how you can tell high conflict. But she tells stories throughout that I find it now that I've read the book, I keep thinking about the stories she told. So I would read and ponder that book. Don't, you know, sit down and read it cover to cover, read it chapter and ponder it. But it's High Conflict by Amanda Ripley, because we see too often conflict entrepreneurs, that's what she calls them, or fire starters, or people who are full of drama. And, you know, it's all they demonize the other. It's either, you know, and this is the force of darkness versus the force of light and good versus evil and the high, you know, that's high conflict. And so uh, it's really helpful. And now uh, the cabinet and I and some other folks who I've gone through this book with, it, hel it helps just to be able to diagnose and to say, oh, that's what's going on here. How can we make this healthier? And so I would recommend it. It's a good book. It's helpful. And I, I don't know about you, but I love books that are helpful to me in my personal life and my, you know, work life, whatever. And this is a book I think that's helpful because we find ourselves in conflict in every setting. And oh, yeah. so this is helpful to kind of analyze it. And some great stories like, like, you know, uh, um, uh, 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 Jewish synagogue that, um, gets to know the wardens in a in a prison in Michigan, you know, yeah. and compare. I mean, just really interesting settings where where people work on relationship and getting to know each other rather than focusing on the conflict. So I would I would highly recommend it. And in these days, you know, we all need that. So yeah. yeah. Well Bishop Sue, thank you for spending the time with us sharing your thoughts, how you're oh, growing you. and and just Glad helping us preachers. Yeah, well preach on. And preach well, and um, yeah, hopefully I can. And I tell you, one thing that has been great about COVID is just watching a lot of people preach. So yeah. um, that has been a gift. So anyhow, uh, it's great being with you. Take care. Happy 2022, and uh, keep on preaching. Thanks. <laughs>